Today's episode is sponsored by none other than the best company in the entire world who actually has sponsored every episode almost. And that is, drumroll, study notes, ABA. We have been up to lots of stuff and we have exciting news going on. So Casey, why don't you tell everyone about what just dropped in our store and what it is. So we have been working tirelessly. I'm talking sleepless nights to get the fall collective up in the shop. The fall collective, we're more than halfway done with the summer collective, um, which has been awesome. They are a badass group of people. Um, The fall collective will start August 24th and run um, through October 28th. We meet twice a week, Monday, Wednesday nights, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Um, We meet for about two hours going over the entire task list, all items covered. We build upon that shit so you will not forget it. We use dirty jokes, clearly, if you don't know who we are by now, where you been? Um, (laughs) It's an awesome way for you to study for your exam. So right now, until the end of July, you can use code EARLYAF for $50 off signups of any of our live packages. We have three different live packages on the website. You can find us at www.studynotesaba.com, baby. Go sign the heck up. Study Notes ABA, ABA in a little X-rated way. It's behavior, bitches. Hey, guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we are here with episode 59. Episode 59, Casey D. You have a rhyme today? I do not, Liat. Do you have a rhyme today? Yeah, I do. F, uh, 50, I said F. 59. Our guest today is really fine. No joke what I was actually going to say this morning. I was doing the dishes and I'm like, our guest today is super fine. But then I like blanked and blacked out when you just asked me. So I'm glad that we were on the same wavelength here. Yeah, I mean, there's also only so many words that we could use. And I'm sure if we actually were to go back to episode 9, 29, 39, 39. 49, and now 59, I'm sure they all say fine at the end, let's be honest. Um, But we are very excited for our guest today. Also, we are excited that we have completed some stuff in Study Notes ABA. Peanut butter and jelly, we're going to give a one-minute ignite This is the newest speaking form I just learned about yesterday on what we have been up to. All right. So we have been trying to learn to code to get our website working. When we want something done, we get it done. And that is exactly where we are. So we have got our, we just finished recording our audio task list. This is huge. Um, This is a different take on you listening to an audio task list. It's bitches talk the task list. We just finished that. And Casey and I were just laughing before class, realizing that people ask if it's a full-time job. And we realized that there's only three hours of the day that no one could get a hold of us. So I go to bed at about 1.30 a.m. Casey wakes up at 5.30 a.m., which in Dallas time is 4.30. So we're going to talk about this all on Dallas time. So tech, I go to bed at 1.30. Casey's up at 4.30 Central Standard Time. So there's about three hours that you can't reach us. So we're just- It's pretty psychotic, actually. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of psychotic, but we love it. So yeah. And I will say, all right, we started this audio task list um, probably, uh, I want to say six months ago. And it was a ton of recording, a ton of editing. I'm talking, we had Danielle listen to the whole thing. It's over eight hours long. Edit, edit, edit. Our producer, Alan, you guys all know, he's the best. He sat with us the last two days, like three hours a day, going through more edits to make this the best effing product ever. And if you like listening to our podcast, it's like podcast on steroids, the entire task list from FK1 all the way to the end of K. Um, Eight hours of ridiculous. We were cracking up listening back to it. I'm like, what were we thinking? We had to take out a ton of like ridiculous shit, but it's going to be so awesome. It's going to be dropping on Liat's 30th birthday, July 23rd. So we hope that is the goal. Actually, this episode will come out once it's already out. Please God. If it's not, 
give us shit. We need some accountability here. But anyways, Casey also last night went ahead and she has started some energy tablet for working out and I am just loving it. <laughs> so she has a different, an energy. She's doing like two a days of Pelotons. I don't know what's going on, but getting a lot of shit done at the same time. So everyone cheers to Casey and share whatever you're taking with us. Thanks girl. And you guys know how much we love positive reinforcement and the reviews you leave us. It gives us absolute life. So I found one today as I was going through the Apple ones that stuck out to me and made me smile. So this is from red dot dot XC. Interesting name. I'd love to know your real name. So if you hear this, DM me on Instagram. All right. BBs are my R plus. That's reinforcement, guys. Five stars. Thanks. Um, as I've been preparing to pass the hardest exam of my life, Liat and Casey are my source of positive reinforcement in so many ways. I listen to the podcast when I need a mental break from a certain highly aversive fluency test prep service that will not be named. And I recently recently finished the one month video bundle, which was such an amazing experience. And whether I used it for behavior momentum or applying pre-Mac principle, which is grandma's law first then, these bees in their dissemination style are my high P through and through. Thank you for being fun, for being relatable, for being real, for being you. Love you. Mean it. I love that review. That one really touched my heart. So thank you, Red Dot. Reach out if you hear it. I love, I love their reviews. They make me so happy. So back to the episode. Sorry, PB and J. We are now going to be introducing our guest, who I'm so excited to have. And this guest was a student of ours. Sometimes there's just, I know it's weird because it's all virtual online. But that's not really weird because every single person that I work with was virtual online at some point. And this was a student who sometimes you just feel like you vibe with someone. And this was one of those people. And so she has stayed involved with us since she'll have to remind us when exactly she passed the test. But she has been around for a while. She's an artist. She's amazing. And I'm going to take away the introduction and not kill it for Casey. But Casey, tell us a little bit about our guest today. Like Liat was just saying about this student um, who became more than just a student. I also tutored her. Um, and we had so much fun together, whether she was stealing Wi-Fi from the McDonald's parking lot, the Starbucks, <laughs> Starbucks parking lot. She had just had a newborn baby, Lorelai, and this mama was out for blood to pass this exam, and she did. She worked her ass off every single day. So let's talk a little bit about who our guest is today. Her name is Cheyenne. Um, she is just ridiculous. She's so cool. She received her BS, which is bachelor's. I, I think it's funny saying BS, <laughs> in fine arts from Indiana State University and her master's in education from Arizona State University. She's been in the field of ABA for six years, and she became a BCBA in November of 2019. She's, yeah, she says this, not me, but thanks to SNAVA, hashtag SNAVA alum. Her primary experience is with um, early intervention, ASD, and her passion is to work with the littles, I love that, and disseminate ABA to everyone and anyone who will listen. She is currently working with um, Marin Autism Interventions to expand home clinic hybrid programs. She is also a tutor for SNAVA, which we just launched, which is another big thing that just finally got up on the website that um, has drove me absolutely mind crazy. Um, and she's working on some wicked cool shit behind the scenes for SNAVA. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, she lives with her husband, Jimmy, who is a godsend, um, and daughter, Lorelai, who is the cutest thing in the world. Um, and she says they're both her world, and we know that. Um, and yes, she does use ABA with both of them because hashtag behavior is everywhere. Cheyenne, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We're so excited, you little cutie pie. So we talk with Cheyenne a lot all day, like on Zoom. We have multiple projects we're working on. So she's like, I'm so nervous for the podcast. I'm like, it's literally just this exact same thing as us sitting on Zoom and like shooting the shit. So woosa relax. We're so happy to have you. What the F is Woosa? You don't know what Woosa is? No, I still laugh. At you, <laughs> Thanks. It's Casey. Leave a message. Namaste. I'm like, God. Oh, anyway. So today we, we haven't even talked about what we're talking about. Cheyenne is sharing her experience um, with 
PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so Cheyenne, before we really get into this, I just want to um, go over a um, kind of a definition. You know, we like to do that. Um, but what is post-traumatic stress disorder? So it's a mental health problem that some people develop after experiencing or witnessing a life-threatening event like combat or a natural disaster or a car accident or a sexual assault or anything that may be traumatic to you as an individual. Um, and so we really wanted to talk about this and shed some light for anyone that may be experiencing it. But we also want to let you guys know we're not professionals in this. We're not offering any clinical advice. Um, we're just two. Actually, we're three bitches shooting the shit. Um, so hopefully people don't feel alone and maybe you learn some stuff. Uh, Liat, take it away with the behavior principles. We have the behavioral principles of the day. There's so many. Buckle up your seatbelt. Okay, we have antecedent events, setting events, prior learning history, motivating operations, function of behavior, escape and avoidance, condition motivating operations, negative reinforcement, yes, automatic reinforcement, spontaneous recovery, private events, operant behavior, Respondent behavior, respondent conditioning, adaptation, contingency shape behavior, self-management, empiricism, overgeneralization. That's all we have for today, and I'm sure there'll be a lot more, but holy crap. I went from one accent to Israeli in the middle. I was going to say, and I think it was like a little um, like English I turned to, I think yeah. I turned to Ellie Ron in the middle. <laughs> I heard a little bit of French, too. So. Yes, French. Yep. <laughs> So first of all, thank you, Cheyenne, for coming on and sharing your story um, and being vulnerable and open and real, raw and relatable, just how you know the bitches keep it. Um, so why don't you just talk to us a little bit about your background, like your experience, um, childhood, whatever you want to tell us. Definitely. So um, I'm just kind of going to breeze over it a little bit because it's definitely a lot deeper than that. But just to kind of um, keep everybody's privacy um, and to tell my story respectfully. Um, so I had some trauma in my childhood. Um, I actually ran away from home and I didn't talk to my mother or my sisters for almost four years. So that relationship was really, really hurting. Um, I've also had on and off relationships with my dad for 10 years. So everybody in my family has kind of been like on and off relationships. Um, so I also had a cheerleading spinal incident. So someone fell on the back of my head and actually dislodged my vertebrae. So um, that was really, really traumatic too. Um, I actually am telling you some of this based on what people have actually told me because of, I mean, I'll get into this later, but because of the PTSD, I've actually suppressed um, a lot of my memories from my childhood. So um, in addition to that cheerleading spinal accident, around the same time, um, I also developed an eating disorder. So I developed anorexia nervosa and I was 13 years old. So that was super, super hard. And I still suffer from it. Actually, my therapist and I are working on kind of working with that eating disorder and kind of helping that recovery. So, um, you know, at my sickest, I was 82 pounds um, and had a legitimate fear. I still do of gaining all this weight. So um, I had a guy who told me, you know, oh, it's OK. Don't worry about your fat. It's just baby fat. You'll lose it. And that's kind of what triggered it. And so there's that PTSD factor of anytime anyone says the word fat, it's, I go back and I start to remember all of that trauma and all of those uh, private events that really, really set me back. So that's kind of a little bit about uh, my trauma. Again, just kind of breezing over it. Um, there is more, but just keeping everybody's privacy and respect. So it's it's really interesting because if we look at our basic three-term contingency, right, with, you know, again, we're not mental health professionals, but I think it's interesting with a trauma, right, there had to be something that happened to someone, whatever it is. Let's say it's more like someone saw someone being killed, okay? Not saying this is your situation, right? Would we right, say that's right. the antecedent or the – that would be the antecedent, right? Correct. Now, the behavior, what would we say the behavior would be? So the behavior in the moment, I would say, would be how they reacted to 
seeing someone killed like in that moment. So PTSD is a little weird in the fact that you're kind of, yes, you're looking at that antecedent, but it's also kind of a delayed response, right? So that PTSD develops over time. Sometimes it's immediate, um, but you look at the behavior of PTSD is different from the behavior that you enter or that you have when you first respond to that initial antecedent. Does or, that make sense? Yeah, or could it be like antecedent, you're in Iraq, uh, right? Or like, let's say there's a, okay, fine. I'm, I'm just trying to turn this around. Let's say it's like, you're in the presence of this guy who said this, right? Said this thing to you. Correct. Um, you're in the presence, the behavior would be like, what would the behavior be of him or you? I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put it into a basic ABC because what I'm trying to say is then in the future presence of anything that seems similar to that antecedent you came into contact with before, it is likely going to evoke that response. Um, so I'm yeah, trying to put it into like a condition motivating operation surrogate, right? Yes. So now you've been conditioned in that um, whatever that motivating operation that you were in before. So, you know, the guy called you said baby fat and, you know, it, it triggered this, um, like lifelong, um, eating disorder, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so now if you absolutely. hear that again, right, it's, you've, you've paired it, you've paired it with this negative connotation, this, you know, that you, you're going to, you, you can talk a little bit about your extreme behaviors, um, that you engaged in, but yeah, so it, it, it's going to evoke those same responses and those same, um, physiological, psychological, verbal, private verbal behaviors, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, going back to what Liat was saying about the behavior. Um, so like I saw him, right? That behavior would be him telling me that I was fat. And then that caused my response of triggering those private events of, wow, I never realized I was fat. What's wrong with me? And then engaging in the actual observable behavior, which is restricting my food, um, not trusting anyone, breaking off anyone who I felt like was going to hurt me. So anything like that. So that's what would trigger. Interesting. So and, and, you know, I think it's important for us to consider. And I, I don't know if the word is not in linear. I forget the way that they say that behavior ultimately is, it's not just that basic ABC. Right. Someone's consequence might be the antecedent for someone else's behavior, right? So this person said this, which might've been the antecedent to trigger your next behavior, let's say, of highly restricting your food or um, something along those lines, which had a consequence of you losing weight, let's say, or whatever it is. But, you know, someone's consequence could be someone else's uh, antecedent for, for their behavior, if that makes sense. What's yeah, the word? absolutely. There's a word, Casey. A lot of people say how, like, behavior is one thing leads to the next like nonlinear. I think, I think it is not. That's the word I said, but I think it is nonlinear. Yeah, I think okay. so too. Okay. So interesting. So can we step back a little bit? So how old were you when you ran away from home? Um, I was 16, 16 behavior doesn't happen in a vacuum. What was the antecedent? Um, Again, just being kind of respectful. Like I said, I want to tread lightly. Um, I had a disagreement with someone in my family and I saw it as I was in danger. And ne that doesn't mean necessarily I was, it's just that's how I, pers like, that's how I saw the situation. And so I took my keys. I didn't even have shoes on. Um, and I ran away to a friend's house who took me in for a week. Wow. Okay. So this seems like the function of this behavior was? Escape. Escape. All right. So going on to what we had. So of these different things, I see a lot of different things here in this outline, by the way. <laughs> we love having guests who provide us with these bomb ass outline this is like every single thing in it with all the behavioral terms highlighted i mean this is just making <laughs> our job easy I'm extra uh, AF. <laughs> yeah i like extra AF. i'll take it so i want to go a little bit more into this eating disorder okay there's clearly right there there's an antecedent this person says something to you oh cute baby fat blah 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 behavior you're like ouch i don't want to i don't want to eat now whatever or you 
you know, you restrict your eating, you eat very little and the consequences, you probably lost weight. Am I right? Yes. Yep. Lots and lots of weight actually. Okay. So this went on ongoing. Now, what I want to ask ahead of time, what I think is really important for us to consider is motivating operations. The background information going on before this, because, you know, I think about myself personally, I don't know if someone said that to me, right? And things are different for everyone. But I don't know if someone said that to me, that would be like, Liat, you're going to stop eating. So I like, are, do you believe there is motivating operations, things in there beforehand, a need for sense of control, different life events you went through that made that extra, extra, extra as an antecedent to evoke these behaviors that you engaged in? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my dad used to be, he's super, super fit, really good looking guy. And he um, always used to work out. But in addition to that, he would always talk about his diet regimen. So that would always be, um, I never remember eating any kind of meat other than like 80% lean. Um, I never had whole milk when I was young. I always had, you know, that fat free um, and I always, always, always remember having Diet Pepsi around the house. Like it was never regular soda. So like that's specifically stuff that I remember. Um, and then my mom was always, I mean, you know how it is. You try all these different diets, you know, she's tried, you know, Nutrisystem and then not that she needed it cause she's beautiful. But, um, so that's kind of what I saw growing up is this need for perfection and, Growing up in a small town, everybody knows your damn business. <laughs> I can barely shit without someone knowing what I was doing. So um, in order, you know, to kind of keep this facade of having this perfect family, um, we had to keep up this, I mean, yeah, like we had to keep up this facade and that meant living up to those societal, um, I guess, idealizations of being thin and being skinny and for men looking very um, athletic and strong and, you know, your kids behaving very, very well and having a ton of manners. And I mean, it was all of this kind of antecedent, you have to be perfect. There is no excuse for not being perfect. So that's kind of, not that my parents said that, but that's definitely what, as a kid, is what I take is what I took away from that. And I actually didn't realize that. I mean, it, until pretty much the past couple of years when I've been in, you know, intensive therapy for it. And can I just add, um, like, my mom and dad were. I just want to say, my my parents were not the cause of my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just being very, very clear in their lives that they had known that what they were doing would have triggered that they never would have done it. Like I had very loving parents and I just want to be very, very clear and respectful about that. Absolutely. Wow. So interesting. I mean, what it's, it's amazing how parents could say anything and how a child takes it, you know? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I don't think parents even realize the extent to how one digested and, you know, how a child sees themselves with confidence and right. You know, and it's it's really amazing. So I, I want to talk about, let's actually operationally define the behaviors you got into or you would engage in, in your worst part or your, you know, when you were deepest into your eating disorder. Sure, sure. Um, so I actually completely, so it started out as just a very simple diet, right? Um, I used to just start eating healthy. So I started eating salads um, and that was it. That's all I ate was salads. Um, but then it became a game. Then I started seeing the scale go down and I started hearing that positive reinforcement from people. Oh, Cheyenne, you look so great. Wait, you pause, pause, pause. Behavioral interruption. When you see that number, that aversive number going down on the scale and it keeps you doing that behavior. What is it, Cheyenne? um negative reinforcement exactly removing something aversive and increases your behavior and then the yes. praise was the positive okay keep going you're yes. doing great yes so you know having all of that it only made me it only motivated me more to just keep going and keep going and so um i eventually started pushing away my friends they started to see that something was wrong and so i pushed away everyone that i knew and i was lying 
And my mom and dad knew what was going on, not the eating disorder. They just were like, uh, this is kind of weird. And so our rule was, okay, you cannot get below 100 pounds. Like you cannot get one uh, below that. Um, again, as a 13 year old. So that was our rule. And obviously I got below that um, at my sickest. Like I said, I was 82 pounds at 5'4". And so I was very, very sick. Um, but I eventually started cons like seeing these people that loved me that were bringing it up and trying to help as these CMLRs. I was terrified that they were going to find out what was happening and then stop it. And then I was going to be anything less than perfect. And so, you know, I mean, I want to say at my very sickest, I was eating sugar-free gum and iced tea. That was my entire daily intake. Um, max calories was 10 calories a day. And oh. just for people who like aren't into that, like nutrition, it's what, 2,200 calories a day for, and about 1,200 is um, like a diet regimen, right? So um, yeah, it was- 10 calories a day? Yes. What even is 10 bad. calories? What's 10 calories? Two pieces of sugar-free gum. Good so Lord. they're five calories each? They are, no, I'm sorry, four pieces of sugar-free gum. Each one is 2.5 calories. Holy hungry. Yeah. Oh. It's like, I also have this like superpower of like, you can just put like food in front of me and you're like, okay, how many peas, how many calories are in peas? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's totally fine. 70. So like any food, just because of my eating disorder and I was hyper-focused on it, I had to know what every single calorie, every single calorie that was in any kind of food, because I would pretend to eat, um, or just not eat at all and tell people I ate earlier. Um, you know, just because I only ate 10 calories a day at my sickest, um, you know, it caused headaches, it caused being dizzy. Um, I got sprained ankles a lot because I didn't weigh anything and I had no strength. Um, I wish that was why I sprained my ankles, but because I weighed 82 pounds. <laughs> Not the case, guys. I just have really shitty ankles. Right, right. From cheerleading, though, which we have in common. Um, I was a cheerleader, too, and I would roll my ankles all the time. Um, yeah, I, wanted I was to, a cheerleader clear up until that spinal injury, and then I had to quit. I also want to ask you, because um, I relate to this. Um, I've been in um, therapy as well. Um, for my, I know everyone that listens knows, and, you know, my story does not define me, but it's my fucking story. So um, growing up was really tough. And you mentioned that, like, these cognitive dis distortions stem from like a core belief and like what I've learned through my therapy, my PTT, my PTSD, I just got really excited. Um, is, um, it stems from this belief that I have ingrained in my mind that like so people are going to take things away from me. Like growing up, like we didn't have anything. So like, you know, and people just like, I have this fear that I'm going to like lose everything and have nothing and be homeless on the street tomorrow. Like this is a weird, irrational fear that is so far from the current situation or truth, but it's, it's so deep in the tissues. Like PTSD and trauma goes so deep into your tissues. It creates these um, physiological actual reactions where, you know, I even talked about, I go to, when I go to the grocery store, this, I had to look at my own behaviors. I have plenty of money in my savings account. I have a job. I have a husband who has money, like makes money. We have, you know, we live an okay life. But even just a, spending more than $100, if I see the total ringing up more than 100 I, like, start sweating. My palms sweat. My heart beats faster. Then I have to go check my bank account that I didn't overdraft, which is completely irrational again because it's not reality um, or my right. reality. Um, but what is, your, um, what is your kind of core belief around your uh, PTSD? Yeah, um, it is that I am going to be a failure actually. Um, so like you're kind of talking about all PTSD has this core belief and essentially, um, I was, you know, somewhere along the line, I became convinced that I could not be a failure. So it fuels every single cognitive distortion I have. So let's as behavior bitches over here, all of us just break this down a little bit. Okay. So with your eating disorder, did other people comment on this did your family friends 
Anyone? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I had, you know, my best friends, I even had teachers, like I said, small town. Um, I had teachers who would come up and be like, Hey, shy, like, what is going on? Are you okay? You know, what is happening? And I immediately kind of like what Casey was saying, I would go into those like physiological, um, I would start sweating my, my palms. I mean, it was, I would kind of feel, um, just this sheer panic, um, in just in my soul, every fiber of my being just had to escape that situation. And so they became these CMORs that I eventually just completely shut people off. I did not talk to anyone. Um, guys, CMOR, by the way, CMORs condition motivating operation reflexive. This is something that happens prior to anything, right? This is a, in the four-term contingency at the beginning, this is something that signals is a warning, signaling worsening. So she knew when she was around these people, they would be a CMOR like, oh shit, they're here. Shit's about to get worse. Oh yes. And again, that, that fear of having someone figure out what I was doing and then change my behaviors and force me to eat. That was absolutely terrifying to me. All right. And now behaviors. I also see an outline here, which is amazing. You put that, you reinforced everything, any other behavior aside from eating, which we would call a DRO, differential reinforcement of other behavior, any other behavior, whether it was picking a scab, playing baseball, anything, I'm assuming that's, you would reinforce, right? Absolutely. Um, What I actually used was I would binge watch like Netflix or a movie that was from my childhood that would make me feel safe. Um, It was somewhere where I could, again, that function of escape and avoidance, I would escape the situation of my current reality. And so that's kind of, um, that was kind of my goal was to reinforce like any other behavior other than eating. That was the right thing to do. Right now, and with eating disorders, and I don't know because I never had an eating disorder, but I know a lot of people who have, it is an ongoing, is it an ongoing challenge or are you, does it mean like you're out of recovery or how does that work? Um, so for most people, like I said, I can't speak to everybody, um, but for most people, it is a lifelong challenge. Um, I still struggle with not eating Um, And unfortunately, with anorexia, typically you have this cycle of it'll turn from uh, anorexia to binge eating disorder, right? So that's just overeating, right? So anorexia, you don't eat much. Um, Binge eating, you eat a ton of food, and it just is this nasty cycle. So you binge or you don't eat anything, it turns into binge order binge eating disorder, and then you eat everything. And then because you ate everything, you stop eating again. So I still go through these rotations. Um, Not as much binge. Um, Typically, it's I eat like a quote unquote, like normal person amount of food. And then I feel like it's too much. And then I stop eating. Um, It's something that I've really, really worked on uh, really, really hard with therapy only because I'm terrified that if my daughter is subjected to these behaviors that she in turn will have an eating disorder. And so, yes, that is completely, I still um, track my food right now. Um, but in kind of a healthy way, it's more to see, okay, you are eating normally. You are not skipping foods. Um, I actually have this app that I track all of my foods and my therapist has access to it. So she is actually there. And that's actually one of the self-management strategies that I know we'll kind of talk about here in the future. But um, I guess short answer to your question, yes, it is lifelong and I still get anxiety and I still hyperventilate. There have been times where I just curl up in a ball on my couch and I just sob and my husband just has to come over and hold me until it's done because this overwhelming trauma from not being enough comes up and it just is ingrained in my soul. I think it's important we talk about this also because I do think that, you know, a common misconception is that this trauma is, is PTSD has an association with like someone went to war, which obviously like that makes a lot of sense why someone, you know, that's traumatic to someone. 
but trauma looks different for everyone, you know? Absolutely. I mean, what your trauma is, is different from what mine is, is what someone else's is. Um, you know, I did some trauma work when I realized I was so traumatized from watching my fingers decompose in front of me that I was like obsessed that like, I'm going to lose more fingers, which like to someone else sounds absolutely bizarre, but it's, it's something that I came into contact with. So I want to talk about, I mean, I personally did EMDR, which I thought was amazing. Um, not making any recommendations for anyone, but it was just, it really helped me. But I want to talk about now you're a BCBA and you've been doing therapy for a while. And I'm assuming you're not doing your therapy with the BCBA. You're doing it with a therapist, right? Right, right. And I want to know what are some of the techniques they give you to use? And as a behavior analyst, are you able to see any of these from a behavioral angle, what they're doing, how we could put this into a, or maybe they don't fit into it, but in a conceptually systematic manner of how it fits into our terminal, our terminology. Absolutely. So um, it's funny because I actually will tell my therapist behaviorally, this is what I'm doing. Like, and I'll give her the actual terms and she just laughs because she's like, you're, you're such a behavior analyst. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's same with my therapist. My therapist is like, why are you here again? <laughs> like right. you just told me everything <laughs> that you need to do, why you're doing it, yeah. uh, everything. I'm like, I know, but it's just nice to like talk to someone about it and like yes. get a confirmation that like, I need, I do need some extra help. And it's not just me being like behavior analyzing everything. It's like, you got to take into account these private events, which is a, a really important thing that we can't just always be like, well, it's only what you see because there's things right. going on um, in people's. And I think we talked about this earlier, being super sensitive to our clients, right? We don't know what they've gone through, what their right. past is, what trauma they have may, maybe experienced. Um, so it's, it's really being um, sensitive and open and, uh, you know, em empathetic, right? Having those soft skills as a behavior analyst. Absolutely. That, um, that's actually something that um, when I supervise my current supervisees, that's something that I really, really try to drill is, yes, behavior analysis, you have to look at things that are observable, but we also take into account those private events. From the outside looking in, if I, I mean, even if I just, if I were to see that same person that told me that and triggered my eating disorder, you know, I could just be walking in the park and I could, you know, have a meltdown. If a behavior analyst was looking at me, they would have no idea. You know, they'd be like, okay, what just happened? Like, is it the light? Is it so like you have to go back and you have to realize that there are these private events. And like you said, you have to be so sensitive to that because those can cause those physiological reactions. Those cause the, you know, some me cussing off the, you know, off the wall and me just yelling fuck for no reason. Like, you know, it's, it happens. And that's why those setting events cause that. So when I'm working with my therapist and trying to work through this recovery, um, I actually am doing kind of a combination of CBT, um, cognitive behavior, I'm sorry, cognitive behavior therapy, therapy. Thank you. I should have known that. No, I, I, I love some CBT. I, I really, really do too. Um, and then the cognitive restructuring, right? So a lot of the things that I have to fix are private events that in turn cause my behaviors. So the private events that are causing these observable, measurable behaviors to happen. So um, cognitive restructuring is all of that private event being um, changed. So first you change your thoughts, you change your feelings, and then you change your behaviors. So first it normalizes your symptoms and experiences so that I can understand that they're not, that I'm not the only one with symptoms and problems. And also so that I can recognize the symptoms and put a name to it. You know, for the longest time, um, I wasn't diagnosed with PTSD and I had no idea what was happening. And, um, you know, going back to the eating disorder wasn't just what has caused my PTSD. It's been a lot more than that. So for the longest time, um, I would have night terrors and I would, you know, hyperventilate and all of those other things that can't, that are these PTSD symptoms. And I had no idea what was wrong with me. I had no idea. And finally I've, you know, just because I, 
I love therapy. I totally am for anyone who wants to go to therapy. I am trying to get rid of this stigmatization, stigmatization of therapy. And finally, I met someone, a therapist who could help me figure out what was going on. And so she gave me all of these coping skills um, that really, really helped me. And a lot of it was changing those private events and looking at the facts. You know, when I am like, oh, my gosh, I'm eating so much. She makes me list out, okay, what have you eaten? Okay, two bites of peas, Cheyenne, that's that's normal. Like that's, that's even less than a normal person would normally eat. Like you're not fat. Like what's your, like your BMI is nothing compared to a fat person. So there's all of these cognitive um, coping skills and self-management skills that help. And I remember they also give a, you know, if I were to, I came home from college depressed one semester and I was an outpatient five days a week CBT, like group therapy for four hours a day. And I remember one of the things they did, I wasn't a behavior analyst back then. I was maybe 20. And, you know, a lot of it is, it's essentially providing a replacement behavior. Like, okay, when you go into this, yes. this cognitive distortion of like this all or nothing, like I'm either this or this, I'm never going to do this, right? Um, it's about replacement statements. You could say instead of, you know, First of all, behavior, identify the fact in your statement. Is it true? Is it an opinion, right? Like, could you use right. this statement in court um, or is it an opinion? Because if it's an opinion, it's not going to hold up. There's no data there, as we know as behavior analysts. Um, right. So a lot of it does involve these, uh, you know, they have their own words when it's when it's provided within like a, a therapy context or by a psychologist, psychiatrist. But knowing behavior as we do... I, you know, I'm able to look at that and say like, hey, that's essentially just providing an alternative behavior. Right. Or, hey, that's um, that's an autoclinic of my private behavior. And thank God for Skinner, because I think it would be embarrassing if we didn't consider the private events. Thank God Skinner came along and said that. Otherwise, we would just Absolutely. look like a bunch of idiots who are missing a huge component to behavior, why people Absolutely. do what they do. And this is just really important. I think, I hope that someone listening to this hears it and is like, hey, just because I wasn't in a war or I wasn't in this or I didn't witness someone, you know, uh, die in front of me, like I still could have trauma. And this is something that no matter what it is, someone's trauma might be their cat dying, right? It's all relative as to what it is for someone else. And so hearing this and, you know, we've only pulled out some of the behavioral principles and this could go on five ever because there's just so much going on when it comes to an, uh, an, a human, a human being is a complicated, you know, person in terms of all these different things that go into it. And so I think this is really amazing that you came on to share this. I want to share real quick. Um, just the ending, this amazing thing that your therapist said, um, which makes it so clear um, to me. Um, I don't know if it's going to clear any it for, up for anyone else, but um, so when a brain experiences a significant rise in stress and the sympathetic nervous system is activated, the information that's coming in becomes even more fractured and symptoms of PTSD are a result of your sympathetic nervous system working all the fucking time. Like she didn't say that. I said that first. And your so. brain trying to make sense, right. Of the severely fractured incoming information. And I think about when I, um, you know, fight or flight. So I'm always super activated in a fight or flight. It's because of my childhood. And like one little thing can trigger. And I am like fight or flight and like heightened to like the nth degree and have to like, really focus on breathing. Um, my Apple watch tells me probably every second to breathe because I'm just probably not breathing. Um, but one of the things that, um, you know, when you're growing up and you're in this fight or flight a lot, um, it does some terrible shit to your brain development. And um, there's a really great TED talk I'll put in the, um, I think her name's Dr. Nadine. I think she talks about um, PTSD and like kids and like you know, the growing brain development as it compares to a war veteran and their brain, what happens to their brain when they come back from war. It's very similar to a child who goes through severe trauma. And um, she talks about how like when you're in fight or flight and you're up here and you're really, really activated, um, 
you know, that's great. We need that, right? Because if you if you encounter a bear in the woods, you need to have that fight or flight, right? That you have to have that. But she says, what if the bear is always at home? Like, so you're always yes. activated, like up here, like the bear never goes away. And so right. just what your therapist said is for stigma for PTSD would reduce significantly, significantly if people understood the biological roots to the diagnosis. Um, and that it's not just someone who came back from war. It does not discriminate, which <laughs> was your line. The <laughs> yeah. I love that. She stole your phrase. It doesn't discriminate, right? PTSD does no, not discriminate. Doesn't. I mean, if someone looked at my me, right, they just met me. Oh, this, you know, she has got X, Y, and Z together. She's super perfectionist. She's uh, works out. She's healthy. She's in a happy marriage. Like she has everything, right? Without realizing like what's the underlying bubbling Absolutely. right here where like, at any second, I could just like cry like right now. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. No. And, um, you know, like you were talking about, like those fractures um, yeah. of those memories, those disappear. Those yeah. can disappear. Those, you know, I'm missing half of my memories. I don't remember 95% of my traumas. Yeah, I don't. And I have been had to have been told, um, I had to be told, tell, ugh, I've had to be told, sorry, <laughs> by, um, you know, people who love me that will actually tell me the truth. Um, yeah. You know, my husband, we actually started dating on a day that was so, so traumatic and I, I can't really get into it, but um, it was awful. And I don't remember much of it other than the night terrors, mm -hmm. but my husband has had to tell me what happened. And he, wow. and my mom has to tell me memories of my childhood. Some aren't even traumatizing. I just don't remember it because my, my subconscious has suppressed all mm. of those memories. And it's so, wild. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's and so I know crazy. That when you and I were kind of talking about that and you said that that also has happened to you, that you've kind of had to be told a little bit about what has happened like in your traumas as well. I have no memory. It's it's and I think it's almost like a blessing that the the, the mind does that. I think it's some kind yes. of defense mechanism. But like, you know, at first when they were looking into legal, you know, from the, the error of the doctor with my fingers, it was like, Leah, you don't remember that day that we asked for help? The doctor said, no, nothing, nothing. And I'm like, I have no recollection. And so originally we were looking into doing a lawsuit for it. I was like, I I don't remember anything. Like, it's just crazy how the mind has this shuts it off mm -hmm. shuts it off yeah and um you know going also back to kind of what casey said in there um you know it doesn't just happen to vets guys like this happens to so many people and it's has this stigma of only happening to to vets which yes a, a lot of them have that trauma because yeah that shit sucks like that's crazy bad. but there are also people who like me experienced an eating disorder or run away from home or um, have something bad happen to someone that they know. And it's awful. It's awful and it's real. And I wanna make sure that people know, like we hear you, we see you and I'm completely on your level. And I want people to know that if they're going through this, like there's compassion there. like. You know, I'm always up for people reaching out to me. You know, I'm very open about my eating disorder. Um, I've had people reach out to me about that. It sucks. It absolutely sucks. PTSD sucks. And it can be absolutely exhausting not knowing what is happening and thinking like, oh, I can't have that because that only happens to that person. No, there are different traumatic events that may not be traumatic to one person, like Liat was saying, but it may be traumatic to someone else. And, you know, it also is based on, yeah, what you're just, you know, uh, genetically disposition to, but I mean, it happens and it's really, really tough. And so, you know, I just hope for anyone listening, if you are suffering, like reach out to somebody. Therapy does not mean you're fucking crazy. Sorry, I've probably used my F-bomb like seven times, my bad. You're good, um, but we're past that. <laughs> yeah, my bad. My bad. Um, but it it's not bad. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Everyone needs someone unbiased to talk to. 
Guys, therapy rocks. And I hope even from this episode that we can have one person, you know, reach out. I, I mean, I, I one benefit I think we've had from this podcast is I can't tell you how many messages I get. And it's like, thank you so much for being open about the fact that you're on depression and anxiety meds. Like I decided to go. I, I was embarrassed that my job would know I went. And I'm like, dude, if you don't have anxiety, you're weird. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> you're a unicorn. You're a unicorn. Go you. Uh, and PTSD is also like super um, comorbid with a bunch of other disorders. So a lot of the times I know for me, it coincides with um, anxiety, depression, um, a little bit of OCD tendencies, not that I'm diagnosed with OCD, but just OCD tendencies. So like, there's a lot that goes into that. So I really hope that like, just being real raw and relatable that you guys can go see someone and get the help that you need. That was awesome. Thank you, Cheyenne, so much for coming on today and sharing your story, being vulnerable. And I'm sure people listening are um, going to enjoy this episode a lot. So, yeah. and in our show you. notes, yeah. Oh, sorry. In our show notes, we do love you. But in our show notes, um, Cheyenne has shared um, some books that she found beneficial, uh, beneficial today when none of us could speak. Benefic <laughs> the books that she's found beneficial. Um, we are going to try put some different um, resources in there and hopefully, again, this helps someone else. And I didn't want to cut Casey off. You can continue saying how you love Cheyenne. Love you, love you, love you, girl. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, guys, I'm going to try to do it ready, Leah. You guys know where to find us. <laughs> www.behaviorbitches.com, um, Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast. You can also find us on patreon.com slash behavior bitches that you could do for as low as $2 a month and support us putting out these episodes. Guys, and thank be you a so Patreon much. member, guys. It's awesome. I'm one and I love it because Aww, it Cheyenne, thank gets you. these out and helps people. So fucking do it. <laughs> Sweet. Love it. As always, guys, thanks for tuning in. Love you. Mean it. Hey, guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows. He posts them. He adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule. Whenever we need super. him, we go to Google Calendar. We just book him. And he does all the hard work. It's like so incredibly easy. That's why it's probably called Pretty Easy Podcast. So be heard and have some fun podcasting like us. Go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm -hmm.